We are kicking off a new series entitled, Do Something, and that film, Live 58, illustrates our desire to do something to end extreme poverty. As the, as the uh, film illustrates, there are people all around the planet that live on less than $1.25 a day. In fact, 1.4 billion people on the planet live on less than $1.25 a day, and that is just a crisis. That is just a need that we must respond to, that we must do something. And it's not just those people. In fact, in addition to that 1.4 billion people on the planet, there's another 884 million people in the world that don't have access to clean water. There's another 22,000 children that die every day from poverty-related causes. And what this film illustrates and what we are trying to do is to say that's not right that we want to do something on behalf of the poor. We want to do something to end extreme poverty. This is a a conversation that we started a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, and we put our little wristbands together. We have a little do something wristbands. And I know some of you have been talking about it. Some of you have been thinking and praying about some, some ways that we could engage in doing something to end extreme poverty. In fact, some people even have do something t-shirts on, and you can talk to them a little bit later on. They're going to be hosting a do-something film showing of that film, Live 58, next Sunday at 5 o'clock. The community groups are also going to be doing uh, a similar, showing, a simi- showing the film and having some more conversations about what we could do. But we want to do something. We don't want to forget the 1.4 billion living on less than $1.25 a day. We want to forget the 22,000 children that die every day from poverty-related causes. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, what can we actually do? I mean, we're just a small church. We live, we, we lead busy lives. I mean, what could we do to end extreme poverty? Maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're a realist. Maybe you're thinking there's not much that we can do to put a dent in the world's poverty. Maybe you're thinking the gap is too big. I mean, the challenge is too, too, too hard. What could we do? I know a number of years ago, I had a chance to go to Tanzania. This is a picture of me in, in, uh, with some friends in Tanzania. We were actually in the village of Lalangombe, which is a village of sleeping cows. And uh, while I was in this village, this is a, a little mud brick home, and uh, I'm with my friends, and we're eating daga and ugali. And if you, if you don't know what daga is, daga is just this little uh, fish, uh, like, kind of like guppies, and they boil them and they eat them whole. And uh, they don't go down very well. But uh, that's, what, uh, that's what we're eating, eating there in this mud brick home with some friends from Tanzania. And we're laughing. We're smiling. I'm the, actually the entertainment for the evening. I'm trying to learn Swahili. And these guys are kind of making me mess up. And I'm giving bad lines. And, and we're having a great time sharing this meal. So this, this friend of mine, Todd, the, the missionary, we would bike to different villages in rural Tanzania. And we would talk to people. We'd get to know them. We would share the message of Christ. We would talk about different health-related things. And uh, we were having a great time. But on this bike ride back, I had a chance to visit uh, a a woman, a family. But but a woman in particular came out of her mud brick home, and she had her daughter in her hands. And she was severely malnourished. I mean, and and she was sick and, and in need. And the mother came up to me, and she says, Would you do something for my daughter? And, and I says, I, I don't know what to do. She says, would you take my daughter and bring her somewhere where she can get help? And, and, I, and I, I didn't have anything to do. I, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't do anything to help 
her daughter. And a couple of days later, I heard that her daughter died. And, and there was this sense that there's nothing that we can do. There's this sense of hopelessness that the challenges are too great. The gap is too wide. There's nothing that we can do to end poverty, to help a woman with her daughter dying. And I think that sometimes we as a church, we can feel that way. I mean, what can we do? 1.4 billion people on the planet live on less than $1.25 a day. What can we do to, to prevent the, the, the death of children that die every three seconds from preventable diseases? What can we do? And it's, it's oftentimes we feel overwhelmed. We feel overcome by the challenges of poverty. And I'm sure that's how the first followers of Jesus felt. I'm sure when they heard Jesus say, hey, I want you to go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When Jesus says to his disciples, hey, you have, there's 5,000 people needing food, you feed them. I'm sure they felt overwhelmed. I'm sure that they felt they didn't have what it took to to make a dent in in the needs of the world. When Jesus says, hey, when, when you see someone that's hurting and hungry and you give them a cup of cold water, that's like giving me a cup of cold water. And they probably says, I don't know if we have the capacity to do something to bring your kingdom into the world. Because if you remember, these first followers of Jesus were just a small group of Jewish men and women. They didn't have a lot going for them. I mean, the Romans ruled the day. The Romans were the political empire that ruled the day, and they didn't have a political voice. They didn't have very much financial influence. They were, they were praying for their daily bread. They were, they were making barely enough to get by. They didn't have a lot of influence politically. They didn't have a voice economically. They were just this ragtag group of Jewish followers, but they were around Jesus. And although they felt like they, couldn't, they didn't have what it took to make a dent or to bring God's kingdom to earth, Jesus says these very significant words, these very profound words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. These words that changed the course of history. In the face of followers that may have felt overwhelmed by the task at hand, Jesus says these words, You are the light of the world. Now, I'm sure these, the, the small group of Jewish followers probably would have looked at each other and said, Are you serious, Jesus? Me? Us? I mean, do you know this guy next to me? I mean, he's not a light. I mean, are you aware of the Roman oppression? I mean, we don't have a political voice. We don't have enough, uh, enough going on. I mean, w- w- we don't have hardly anything going on economically, politically. I mean, there's not much doing. There's, there's no way that we can make a difference in the world. But Jesus says, you, you, you who are gathering together at the Sermon on the Mount, you who are just starting to follow me, you who are putting your faith in me as the Messiah, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You may not feel like a light. You may not see yourself as a light. You may not think that you're the light of the world, but that's who you are. Through you, the entire world will see who God is and how God is at work in the world. You are a bright spot of the kingdom of God. You illuminate God's presence and power in the world. Now, if I were to walk up to you, into your school, into your home, into your workplace, and I were to whisper into your ear, you're the light of the world. You may not feel like a light. You may not see yourself as a light. But you, the light of the world. Some of you would turn to me and say, I think you're crazy. I'm just 
just a guy trying to do my job. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just, I'm just a student. I'm not a light in the world. I'm not making a difference in the world. I mean, there's nothing that I can do to bring God's light into the world. And that's how these first followers of Jesus felt. When they heard the words of Jesus, you are the light of the world, everybody says, who are you talking about? I mean, we, we don't have any influence. We don't have any power. We don't have any voice. But Jesus says, yes, you are the light of the world. He goes on to continue to describe who these followers are. In, in verse 14, Jesus continues. He says, you are a city, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do you light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. See, Jesus used two metaphors to describe his followers. And the first one is, you are a city on a hill. Now, a city in the ancient time was built on a hill for obvious reasons, for protection. But there were also, many of them were made out of limestone. So when the sun reflected on this limestone, they were bright. And then at night, when torches were lit around these stones, I mean, it was obvious where the city was. So cities were built on a hill, often near water, but on a hill for protection. They were strategically placed on a hill. It wasn't there by accident, but by design. And Jesus says, you are like a city on a hill, strategically placed so that everyone can see the light of the city. He goes on. Jesus says, he also says, you are a lamp. You are a city on a hill and you are a lamp. And like a lamp, you're not randomly placed just anywhere in a room. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That would be silly. That would be pointless. Instead, people light a lamp and put it strategically in the center of the room to give light to everyone around the room. And he says, you are a city. You are a lamp. You are strategically placed to be a light, to bring light in the world. The Greek word for put in that sentence there is tithemi. And it means more than just placed. It means strategically put. It's not random. It's not by accident. The, the force behind this verb is strategic Placement. It also refers to the divine placement or assignment of someone or something in a particular place, meaning we, like cities, we, like lamps, are strategically placed by God in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools to be a light, to be the light of the world. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 16. He says, in the same way, in the exact same way that a city is placed on a hill for protection, for light, so that everyone can see where the city is, in the exact same way that a light is placed in the center of a room to give light to everyone around it, in the exact same way you are strategically placed by God in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in your family to radiate God's presence and power in the world to reflect who God is and what God is doing in the world. So let your light shine. That's what Jesus says here. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men, 
that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men. You are not here by accident. You are not here randomly placed in your family, in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood. God strategically placed you very intentionally in your family, in your school, in this church to shine, to illuminate God's presence and power in the world. Now, I know you may not see yourself as a light. I know you may not think that you are the light of the world. I know that you might have some doubts about your, your power. You may not think that God has strategically placed you in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, on your sports team, but you have. God has strategically placed you in those places to shine, to illuminate God's presence and power in the world. Now notice, notice something. Please don't miss this. Jesus did not say, let your light shine before God. That's, that's not what it says. This is not something internal. Jesus is not saying, I want you to go into your room and go into your prayer closet and pray. This is not some sort of inner devotional life. Jesus isn't saying, go and read your Bibles. Jesus, Jesus is not saying, do something internal. This is external. This is before men. This is not before God. This is before men. See, what Jesus is saying simply is this. He says, I want you to do something. I just don't want you to believe that I'm the Messiah. I just don't want you to pray the sinner's prayer. I just don't want you to think about the kingdom that is coming to earth. I want you to do something before men so that they may see your Father in heaven and worship Him and praise Him so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. He says, I want you to do something good. I want you to do something great. I want you to do something so that your family, your friends, your co-workers will pause and say, they worship a great God. They will pause and see your good work and say, that God is alive and well and working in the world. Jesus says to each one of us, do something. Don't just believe something. Don't just pray something. Do something. The Greek word for deeds is ergon. And ergon is where we get the word energy. And it means just that. It means work. It means labor. It means get your hands dirty. It means put some energy into it. Jesus is not suggesting that our faith is, is based on works. Jesus is simply saying that your faith in me results in good works. Your faith in me as the Messiah results in a light, in the presence and power of God being displayed in your life. It results in good ergon, in good works. Because you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. You are a lamp on a stand. God has strategically placed you in your home, in your workplace, in your school, in this church to radiate, to illuminate God's presence and power in the world. He's created you to do something. Not just to believe something, not just to say something. You may not think that you have anything to do, but that is exactly what God has called you to do. Because of your faith in Christ, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine. So let your light shine. Isn't that what you want to do? 
Isn't that what God created you to do? To, to have good air gone? To have good works? I mean, isn't that what you want to be? A light so that others can see the greatness of our God? I mean, no one comes to a worship service on a Sunday morning and says, you know what, I just want to live in the darkness, right? Nobody does that. Nobody says, you know what, I just want to just think about darkness. I just want to walk in the darkness. You know, I, no, 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 all of us want to participate. All of us want to be people of the light and have the light of Christ shining through us. We want to be children of the light. We want to let our lights shine before men so that God would see our good works, so that others would see our good works and glorify our God in heaven. But oftentimes we think there's nothing that we can do. The gap is too great. The challenge is too hard. I mean, 1.4 billion people on the planet living on less than $1.25. What in the world could we do to end extreme poverty? I mean, it's just too big. It's just too great. I mean, I'm too busy. I'm too insecure. There's nothing that we can do. We often confuse the inner life of devotion with the good works that God's created us to do. We think that Christianity is simply about praying our prayers, doing our worship services, but not participating in the good work that God's created for us to do. That's what happened to the believers back in Isaiah's time. The believers back in Isaiah's times, they were confused. They weren't following the ways of God. They thought following God was simply attending a worship service, praying some prayers, even doing some fasting, but not radiating the presence and power of God. They were overly concerned with their inner devotions, and they missed God's good work in the world. Check this out in Isaiah 58, verses 1 and 3. We read this. Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. This is pretty big. I mean, these guys must have done something that really irritated God. It says, shout it aloud. We're talking about rebellion and sin. These are strong words of God. And God says this. He says, day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if They were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. Day after day, they pray to me. Day after day, they come to worship services. Day after day, they participate in seeking after God. They gather together for worship, but they ask me for just decisions. And they seem eager for God to come near them. They're praying for wisdom. They're asking God for just decisions in their lives. They're praying for God's will to be done in their lives. They're praying for wisdom. Verse 3, it says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not hold us? This is a group of people that are fasting, they are praying, they are attending worship services, and yet they're overly concerned with the inner life, the inner devotions, that they're missing the work of God in the world. And God says, Shout it aloud. You're rebellious, you're missing, you're overly concerned with your private spirituality and you're missing the good work that God wants to do in and through you. So God responds. Verses 6 and 7, he says this, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? Is this not the kind of life I've called you to live? Is this not the, 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 the kind of following me that I'm after? This is what he said, is to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. See, God starts off a little bit vague, a little bit general. 
He says, I want you to do some unchained injustice. I want you to untie the yoke. And then he says this, verse 7, Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, that when you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood, to care for the hurting and the hungry, to clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to care for those that are in need. And then God says this in verse 8. I just love this part. He says this. Then your, what's that word there, that next word? Then your light, then your light will break forth like the dawn. And the healing that you need in your life will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And then when you call upon God, the Lord will answer. And when you cry for help, He will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light shine in the darkness then your night will become like the noon day when we do something on behalf of the poor when we go when we spend ourselves on behalf of the hurting and the hungry when we clothe the naked and feed the hungry when we satisfy the needs of the poor then and only then will our light shine Will our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven? Not when we attend a worship service, as good as that is. Not when we go and pray. Not when we go and do study the Bible. But when we go and do something in the name of God for the sake of the poor, when we spend ourselves on behalf of the poor, we illuminate God's presence and power in the world. You are the light of the world. You are the city on a hill. You are a lamp on a stand. And I know you may not feel like a light. I know you may not see yourself as a light. But according to Jesus, as your faith in the Messiah leads you into a relationship with Him, you radiate God's presence and power in the world. God has strategically placed you in your family, in your workplace, in your home, in this church, in this nation, the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, not by accident, but by design. You are here to do something. We are here to do something good, to do something great, to do something so meaningful, so significant, that our friends, our family members will have to pause and say, there is a God that is awesome. There is a God worthy of praise. There is a God worthy of worship. This morning we're starting off our Do Something campaign. And our campaign is simply a short-term campaign for a long-term strategy to end extreme poverty. That, that I know that sounds big. I know that sounds bold. But, 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 but I, and, and I know that we all can't do everything, but we can all do something, can't we? We can all do something to end extreme poverty. See, in your program, 
you received a little card here. And if you have your card here, I'd love for you just to, to pull that out. But it's a little do-something card. And it's a little card on the front. It says, you know, 1.4 billion people live on less than $1.25 a day. And, and on the back it says, I will give up something. And I pledge to give something. And it says, I am going to give something up to participate in something great. And I'm going to pledge a certain amount of money to, in order to do something significant. Now, I'm not asking you to fill this out today. I'm not asking you to put your name down. I don't want, I don't want us to, to respond. I just want you to have this in your hand. I just want you to ask God, is there something that you might be calling me to do? See, our leadership team and our staff, we've been praying and fasting and thinking about what God might be calling us to do for the last couple of months. And they have, not physically, but emotionally, filled out this card. Many of our leadership team and our staff have, have fasted or given something up to participate in what God might be calling us to do for the sake of the poor. And I just want to show you a quick clip of one of, one of our uh, church family members as they, as a family, have decided to do something as a way for us to think about what might God be calling us to do. So let's look at this quick clip. We decided after hearing about the Do Something campaign that we wanted to do something that our whole family could participate in. I grabbed an old canning jar of my grandmother's and one of our Do Something bracelets that we got at church and put that around it and then we wrote on the canning jar, helping to end extreme poverty. And I showed it to my family and I said, if you guys are all in on this and want to take part in it, sign your name on the jar. So everybody signed their name on the jar and made a commitment that we were going to try to find ways to end extreme poverty. In sacrificing a meal, we are able to take the money that we would um, have spent on that and use that to add into our jar to help with the Do Something campaign and help end extreme poverty. There's a sacrifice involved. It's not a big one for us because we're still eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's really kind of a concrete visual. There it is in front of you that we're doing something different and not just eating the meal but contributing money towards it. And that's become kind of... It's a bigger thing. The kids are thinking about it. They're doing things um, that I don't—I didn't wouldn't have anticipated. To help end extreme poverty, I had an item that I had. I sold it on eBay, and all the money I got for it, I'm going to put in the jar. I recently bought my own docking station for my iPod, and I had a bunch of extra money, and I put that extra money in the jar. I've been having some stuff in my room. I look in it sometimes, my room sometimes. And, well, sometimes I find stuff that I can sell. The blessing that we've seen um, for our kids was something I didn't anticipate. Their excitement, their participation, um, and then they're just looking at opportunities, you know, different choices that we make. The question comes up, well, do we really need that? You know, can we can we go without it so that we can put more money in the jar?
So we're inviting you to participate in this short-term campaign to make a long-term impact to end extreme poverty. We're not asking you to drop your shoes on the platform. We're not asking for the shirt off your back. We're asking you to think. We're asking you to pray. We're asking you to ask God, God, do you want me to participate? What would you want me to give up in order to give something financially for the sake of others? And to let God do a work inside of your heart to say, yeah, I've created you to be a light. I've created you to participate in my redemptive work in the world. I've created you to do something. And some of you are here today and you hear this opportunity to do something and you've already got your pen out, you already know what you want to do and you're excited to give up something good to participate in something great, the end of extreme poverty. And I'm super excited and I'm glad and you'll just have to hold on to this and ask God what he might be calling you to do. And others of you are probably a little skeptical. You look at your life or you look at your paycheck and you say, I don't know what I could do. I don't know what I could give up. I don't know what, what God might be calling me to do. And that's okay. There's no rush. We're going we're gonna to do this over the next couple of weeks to try to discern what might God be calling each one of us to do so that collectively we can pull our resources together and participate in the end extreme poverty. And some of you are here today and you're like, I don't even know who God is. You know, you talk about this God that, that, that is glorified through my work. I mean, who is this Heavenly Father? I don't even know if I believe in God. And if that's you this morning, I'm just so glad that you're here today. But the question that I want to I ask you to ask is not simply, do I believe in God? But the question I'd like you to consider is, do you understand that God believes in you? That when God sees you and your little faith in Him, He says... You're the light of the world. You're like a lamp in a room. You're like a city on a hill. You radiate my presence and power in the world. So the question is not do we believe in God, but do we understand that God believes in us? That God has invited us to participate in his redemptive work in the world. To illuminate God's presence and power to participate in bringing about the end of extreme poverty, to go out and tell the world about who Christ is and to live his mission here on earth. So the question is not do we believe in God, but do we understand that God believes in us? And that when he looks in your faith, when he, when he looks at your step towards him, when he looks at us gathered together as a people, he says, you're a light. I've created you. I've designed you. I've strategically placed you in your home, in your workplace, in this church, in this country to radiate God's presence and power in the world. You are not here by accident, but by design. So let your light shine. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity in it. We thank you for the opportunity to consider doing something in response to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Doing something in response to the words of Jesus. That we are a light, strategically placed in this city to shine, to radiate 
your will and your power and your presence in the world. Move in us, I pray, Holy Spirit. Shape us to reflect your kingdom, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may you let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.